The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. amen. Can you rise to our feet? Let us declare the word of God. All right, want to let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, that's a declaration. And that will be your testimony in the name of Jesus. Amen. Like we're praying this today, understanding will come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And that which was dark will become light to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God will give you the insight that is needed to turn your life around amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. Many people are stumbling on a particular spot because of something they don't know. You prayed and prayed and prayed. That's why Jesus, David said, I'm a stranger on the earth. Give me understanding. And that is, I cannot navigate around except I have your map. The word of God is a map. Say, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared of my ways. Give me understanding and I shall live. That means that um, my soul is in the dust because of my own ways, which is not actually the way of victory. Are you getting my point? That's what David was saying there. That's Psalm 119. So I I declare to you today, that way to bring you out of the dust, God will reveal it to you in the name of Jesus. Today will be a day of a breakthrough for somebody. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Greet your neighbor before you sit down. Tell the person you are very wise. Amen. Greet somebody else. Greet like two or three people you are very wise. And as you are doing that, please take your seats. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, let's open our Bibles. We are going to be reading again from Revelations chapter... Well, we have been reading the book of Revelations. Let's just continue from where we stopped last time. Go to Revelations chapter 2, please. We'll commence reading from there again today. We have been looking at what Jesus has to say to us as Christians. The different things, different areas of our lives where we are to take correction. I remember we began this by explaining that if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Remember that. That is... Jesus is not just a savior, he's a judge. He's a God-appointed judge of the living and the dead. He judges his own church. The Lord will judge his people. That's what the Bible says. And we said there are different levels of judgment. The first, the best, the easiest level is when we judge ourselves. And that's where we began from. And we said if we don't judge ourselves, then we'll have to be judged. And that judgment is a judgment of the Christian, the child of God, which, which is actually a form of discipline. The purpose of God is so that we will not be judged with the world. And that's the third level of judgment, being judged with the world. I was sitting in Portaco last weekend, and somebody still asked, he said, what do you think of the doctrine of eternal salvation? He said, once saved, always saved. I always wonder what that thing means, really. I think, what does it mean that if I claim I've given my life to Christ, and I start living like an unbeliever, I'm still saved? Is that what that means? Oh, you understand my point? What does it mean? When people say, once saved, always saved. I, I just want to know, what are you asking me? Are you saying that God tosses a Christian into condemnation or damnation for every offense? The answer is no. If that's what you mean, then it is, it, you are right in that once saved, always saved. 
But if you mean that if a Christian starts living carelessly and he says he's safe because he gave his life to Christ like you know eight years ago and he was an active believer for like six years, the last two years he has now abandoned everything. If that's what you mean, then you are not reading your Bible well. You're not reading your Bible well. If you read the book of Hebrews, you see Paul was writing that chapter six that there are people that can fall away from salvation and and are not qualified, that for them to now become impossible to renew them again to salvation. It's there. Jesus said that, do this, I will not erase your name from my book. It means names can be erased from books. Are you getting my point here? Yes. As we are going there, you will find it here. So when people say some of those things, I just wonder. Okay? So we've read it from that book of Hebrews. People can fall away. Jesus said it clearly. We are reading it here now. Names can be erased. He said, do this and I will not erase your name. So that's just that's common science. Doesn't It's not rocket science. Okay? People indeed can fall away. Okay? And the Bible says that there will be a great falling, falling away. People fall away. Nobody should tell you that once saved, always saved. So Christians don't... No, that thing is not true. I don't understand the basis of it. I don't understand the basis of it. And Jesus Paul said that, why will we be judged by God so that we will not be judged with the world? It means it is a possibility for somebody to be judged with the world. Jesus said that hey, whoever does this will not be hurt by the second death. I mean, he was warning Christians on what they need to do so they will not be hurt by the second death. I mean, what else do we need? But why do we argue over all of that anyway? They want to walk in sin that grace may abound. Are you getting my point here? So that's why I don't like to even sit on it, just because we have to drop some of these things for Christians. So, while we're looking at that, we have to judge ourselves, and we're looking at the things that the Lord Jesus, all right, picks on. There are not too many things you find that he picks on. And if you see from this book of Revelations, there were seven churches, letters written to seven of them, and he said, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, which tells you that if you see something said to the church in Smyrna, Listen to it. It is being said to Banki. Are you getting my point here? It is said to the church in Laodicea. Listen to it. It is being said to you also. Anything that applies to you there, take it. What does not apply to you, push it aside. Are you getting my point? But don't read it looking for just um, confidence. Look, read it primarily for judgment. So you can judge yourselves, uh, yourself and wipe some negative things out of your life that will not be pleasing to the Lord. Because as we go through it, you will see there are things that the Lord loves. It, wasn't, it was not just only criticizing. He used to tell them, this is good. I've heard of your faith. This is good. I've observed your patience. This is good. All right? I've seen the love you have for one another. This is good. He will tell you, I've seen your works getting better. That is good. It's a but. Oftentimes, there's a but. Oftentimes, there's a but. One thing I have against you. And when you, anytime you see something that Jesus has against somebody, note it. Note it. And then check your life. I hope this thing is not in my life. There was a church that said, he said, you hate the things that I hate. Or right, Are you getting my point? And that's a positive thing. So we need to learn what are the things that the Lord hates. Okay? There are things that the Lord hates. Solomon explained it. There are seven things. There's six or seven things that I said the Lord hates. And he numbered them for us. He said, if somebody, let, I think we should read that. Shouldn't we read it? Yeah, I think we should read that. It's very good for us to just read it. Things that the Lord hates. Proverbs chapter 6. Now, he said that um, there are six things which the Lord hates. So that's verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that is pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. 
a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. That's a good example of things that the Lord hates. There are other ones in the Bible. These are not the, these are an exhaustive list. I just like the fact that this one is listed. These seven, I just kept one after the other there for us to just look at. He said, these are things that the Lord hates. And God was looking, let, let's go back to that revelation where we were. He was telling them there that, look, I've noticed that you hate the thing that I hate. And that's a good one. If you hate the thing the Lord hates, that's a positive thing on your side. If you hate a lying tongue, and of course you yourself, you don't participate in it. And if you have a Christian who tells lies, he's not your friend. It's very important. He's not your friend. She's not your friend. Because God actually expects us, if I don't want to go into that now, when it comes to keeping Christian friends, you are supposed to check their character. If the the fellow has a character that's not godly, he cannot be your friend. If somebody claims to be a believer, and in those all of those that we we have listed there, Paul said you are not to keep company with such a person. Are you getting my point? You are to deny him. That's true. That's a matter of fact. As Christians, if you find somebody practicing what the Lord hates, you are supposed to cut away from that person. The fellow can you cannot, I know he's my, you know, the way he behaves, I don't like it, but I know he's my friend. What kind of rubbish friendship is that? I have friends who know how to do it. They will tell it to your face. Listen, my guy, you lie too much. From now on, you're not my friend anymore. I don't want you to visit me. I don't want you to call me. And I know people who can do that. But if you are like me, you're not likely to be able to do that. What they just simply do is just talk talking to the person. Stop hanging. Say, ah, let's go and hang out. Say, no, I'm hanging in. Thank you very much. You know, let me, t- let me, can I digress for a moment? Listen, some of the good traits of human beings, they are evil as far as God is concerned. You know, human beings will tell you that you're not supposed to tell, you know. You should be able to keep a secret. God doesn't believe in that thing. God says, if a man is doing evil, go and report him. He says, if he's your brother, you, if, you know, under the law of Moses, it was your duty to report. If you did not report, God will punish you for it. And modern day, they have crafted laws around that now. They found out that you know about the crime and you didn't report it. They put you in jail. Many of the things that human beings celebrate and make look like they are good things. God says no. Some people say, I a good friend. Those are to keep a secret when I'm doing evil. You have a friend. He's a very, very good friend. Though. He's married just like you are married. He now has a girlfriend hidden somewhere. And he says he's your friend. I don't want to tell his wife. And tell him straight, I am going to tell. No, tell the guy simply, listen, if you're going to continue like this, you're not. If he's a Christian, if he's not a Christian, it's a different matter. If he's not a believer, not your business, really. But a believer, no. You try that, I cut you off neat. I'll tell you, my guy, don't call me again. Don't call me. Don't discuss with me. I don't want to know your troubles. When you want to repent, let's go together. We'll go for the repentance. We'll go to the Reverend Father together. Shift. Let me kneel here. Let's confess your sins together. How rubbish is that? You say as we go on, Christians are too tolerant of nonsense. And they think it's a virtue. It's a good friend in iniquity. Listen, you are not sinning. Your friend is sinning, your close friend. And you, you endure it. God will judge him beside, God judge the two of you together. Did you hear what I said? Yes. That's how he behaves. You will be amazed at how many things we will be held responsible for. There are things you did not know was your business. That's like, look, you say as you go on. I'm going to talk about it. 
What do you tolerate? He judges you for it. If it's within your power, you have to wake up and stand against it. If it's not within your powers, you cut off the relationship if the fellow is a Christian. So that guy used to be your friend. Though. Why is he no longer your friend? So that guy, no, we're not friends anymore. Why? He's always borrowing money from people and refusing to pay. Even when he has. And he says he's a Christian. The guy is a thief. You know that's stealing. That's why I don't relate with him anymore. Say, that's, why. that's why I don't relate with him anymore. I've cut off that relationship. But if he's an unbeliever, shake his hand. If he's a Christian, say, today, tomorrow is my son's name. I'm not coming. I'm not, I'm not your church pastor. Some of these things sound drastic. You don't understand what, what, what Paul used to prescribe. David Paulson said something which is right. It was operating a, Bible, a, a biblical injunction. A young man came to his house. He was about to eat. So he delayed eating. Just sat down. was just with the man, the young boy. So the guy now said, I thought you were going to have lunch. David Paulson said, yes. He said, well, said well, I'm waiting for you to go. I'm wait, you are waiting for me to go. Say yes. The, the young man was surprised. He said, why? The guy said, because by, the Bible forbids me from giving you food. Why? You are lazy. You don't like to work. I told the boy, I'm sorry. You can't eat in my house. Go and find food somewhere else. I have abundance of food, but I'm not allowed to give it to you. Why? You don't like to work. So the young man got up. The old man opened the door, allowed him to go out, closed the door and went to eat. The following year, or many months later, the boy came back when they knocked. He said, good afternoon, sir. Today I want to eat. And I think you can give me food. He had gone to get a job. The boy said, come on, come on, sit down, let's eat. Why? He said, because the Bible said, whosoever will not walk, should not eat. That, that's it. I will not disobey scriptural injunction because of you. But you know the way it is in life, especially, I'm sorry, I don't mean any disrespect, women. You say, ah, now, honey, don't be like that. He may really be hungry. Did I doubt he was hungry before? No, give him food and talk to him. Those of you are not married, you know what I'm talking about. Unless your wife is very tough. Even the tough wife, I married the tough wife. Now, when it comes to things like that, he will cool down, ah, my husband, why are you doing like this? Ah, I said, the Bible said the guy should not eat now. He's a lazy man. He said, no, now. Let him just eat. Then maybe you talk to him. Look, if we follow the scriptures, believe me, society will go good. The society will be good. I'm telling you. We don't follow it. That's why. You see, as we go on, we budge on some things that the Bible says that we should be firm on. Now, understand why Jesus used to complain so much about mammon. So you can't serve God and mammon. Because they are seen that too many of us, churches especially, once we see money, we break every rule of God. The Lord is good. I'm just using now to emphasize hating what God hates. That's why we read that portion. Let's now get back to where we're reading. So we've been looking at that, picking things here and there. We have read as far as, um, of course, we have read the letter to the church in Ephesus. I'm very important thing, and I'm going to go over that again, because I still have something in mind there. He said to the church in Ephesus, you've done very well. I know your deeds, that's verse 2. I know your toil, your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. See what I'm saying? Especially those who, those who call themselves, they call themselves apostles, but they are not. He now said, but I have one thing against you. 
That is that what you used to do before you have stopped doing it. Your love for me has waned. And last time I spoke extensively on the fact that we have to be careful that we maintain our love for the Lord Jesus. That the devotion of youth, like he wrote to Israel, that the devotion of youth that we had does not win in any way. Very important we understand that. I'm going to go over that again briefly. Then we we began to look at the church in Smyrna. In the church in Smyrna, we saw that there was nothing wrong with them. The Lord Jesus did not accuse them of doing anything wrong. He praised them. He said, look, I know you have had tribulation. I know that physically you are poor, but in reality, I know you are rich. I know those who are blaspheming against you. He said, do not fear what you are about to suffer. He didn't say they did anything wrong. He just told them they are going to go to another level of persecution. And they are going to have that for 10 days. And last time we said that the Lord was doing that so as to purify them further. And Jesus said it earlier when he was on the earth physically. He said that he that bears fruit, I will do what? I will prune so he can bear more fruit. And that's what he was doing to them, the church in Smyrna. Let's now continue reading from verse 12. And then, although we read this last time, but we didn't say much about it. We'll read from verse 12. Let's see whether we can read to the end of um, chapter 2. If you are there, say amen. amen. Now, I'm reading for the New American Standard Bible. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, The one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Please notice that Satan has a physical throne somewhere on the earth. Well, maybe not physical, but he has a place where is his base. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Let's always note this when the Lord says it. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who, are, who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. And to the angel in the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Now, please, I need to just um, um, read this in the New Living Translation because it's very beautiful. He said, I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant, very important, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. That is, Peter, I've said it. If these things are yours and are what? Increasing. Are you getting my point? And Jesus watches out for that. He watches out for the increase in our faith. He watches out for the increase in our patient endurance. He watches out for how better we are at doing doing the good things that we used to do. 
Very important we bear that in mind. Let's continue reading verse 20. But I have this against you. The same thing, similar to what he had against the church in Pergamum. To the Thyatira church he said, I have this against you, that you tolerate... No, I told you what you tolerate matters. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Sometimes Christians, we tolerate things for the interest of peace. It's not everything that you tolerate in the interest of peace. It's one of the most rubbish... Is that English good? What is the adjective... What is the superlative for rubbish? Rubbisher, rubbishest. <laughs> anyway, it's one of those funny counsels they give to couples to tolerate nonsense in the interest of peace. Listen, a bad thing is what? A bad thing. I'm not saying you should take care, hold everything and be causing trouble. But you have to check what it is that you can tolerate in the interest of peace. If you want to change color in the house, I tolerate a lot of things in the interest of peace. My wife says that, look, she wants it to be green. Left to me, everything should be white. I don't know why. Look, as far as I was saying, they just want color God made white. That kind of thing you tolerate in the interest of what? Peace. Of course. I mean, how, what is the color going to do to my life? And I, sometimes I know some things are just personal preferences. And as a husband, you, don't, you shouldn't insist on your own personal Preference. Yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why you prefer one another in love. That's what the Bible says, all right? You just stand behind which and say, okay, we we'll can only cook one thing. Do you either cook beans or we we'll cook rice? You can have both. As a husband, you ask your wife, which one do you prefer? Eat whatever it is she prefers. That's called preferring one another in love. Are you getting my point? But if they say that we can either use ugu or igbo, <laughs> To cook the soup. There's nothing like in the interest of peace. My wife's name is Whitney Houston. She likes to smoke wee wee inside her soup. No. I will put my foot down. You know, so when I say, you let's do you let's do what you like. Yes. If we do what I like, we will live long. This one that you want us to use Igbo to cook our soup. It has nothing like preferring one another in love with this one. I will prefer righteousness in love. Are you getting my point? Yeah, those are the few principles. You know, my wife learned something very, very early. That you can't change face for me to make me change my mind about anything. I'm just dropping some tips. Husband, look up. <laughs> for example, never reward a bad behavior. Once you're in authority, don't reward bad behavior. You know they call reward bad behavior. For example, you are raising children. My children know you throw a tantrum, you never get that thing. And they learn at the age of one. And then you are one, you don't cry for anything. If I was going to give you an ICT in your face, that's you just lost it. So they learned it very early. You want to ask for something, you wipe your face and smile. <laughs> if they deny you, you continue smiling. That you stand a better chance of receiving it. So I told my wife, I said, baby, I don't reward bad behavior. At those early days, my wife learned, if you're angry with me and you walk out while I'm talking, that's the argument you have lost it for 25 years. Why? I'm your husband. You cannot walk out while I'm talking. I don't reward what? Bad behavior. Tip. Use it. All right, the Lord is good. All right, so now we're in verse um, 20. So 
He said, but this I have against you. Okay, and I said earlier, anytime the Lord says that, please look at it closely. He said, you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. The Lord didn't call her that. And she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her or along with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I give, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, that is that one the woman has been bringing out, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, that is, let me just read that in a simpler translation. That those who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths, as they call them, which are actually depths of Satan. Now, the people who won't come to church, I want you to understand something. They won't come to church and say, we want to teach you the deep things of Satan. They just say, we want to teach you what? Deep things. Alright? Now, but Jesus was saying, these are accurate things of Satan. And anytime you see the word Satan in the Bible, what it always implies is that the devil is working to deviate you from the path of righteousness. When you see the word Satan, it is the devil working to tempt people away from obeying the word of God. Anytime you see the word Satan, that's why Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That is, you are not allowing me. Your plan is that I wouldn't do what God wants me to do. So anytime you see the word Satan, bear it in mind. So these are the deep things of Satan, as they call, they said, as they call them. That is, they are deep things. They call them deep things, but they are actually deep things of Satan. He said, for the rest of you are not following these deep things. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He said, he was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we're going to stop reading here and just pass a few comments. Now like we've been saying, these are the things that Jesus is watching out in our lives. And what I want to bring out from this thing is a matter of false teaching. As you see here, that there are two sets of um, false teachings being discussed. Let's just put some names to the false teachings. One, there are teachings of Balaam, there are teachings of the Nicolaitans, and there are teachings of Jezebel. Now, we don't know in details what exactly the teachings of the Nicolaitans are. People have advocated different things. But for certain reasons, I won't go into details about my reasons now. I'll just look, take what the New Living Translation says about it. That the Nicolaitans hold to a similar teaching like that of Balaam. So because we don't know anything beyond that, let me just leave it like that. So we have basically two things here. The teachings of Balaam and that of Jezebel. But if you look at them closely, they are the same thing. Jezebel was a person. Now, was that person a real person, Jezebel? Oh, she was a real person. But was her name Jezebel? I don't know. Because you know the way the Lord speaks sometimes. He may have given her the name Jezebel 
to tie her with the wife of Ahab. Are you getting my point? That is the same spirit that works in the wife of Ahab, Jezebel, was working in this particular woman. It does not necessarily mean the physical name of that woman at that time was Jezebel. Was she a woman? Yes. Was she a member of the church? Yes. Did she, did she used to teach? Yes. Did she call herself a prophetess when she was not? Most certainly. The only thing that you may just, like I said, is, was, it, was her name Jezebel? I doubt. I think the Lord just called her Jezebel. Everybody knew who he was talking about. Are you getting my point? Everybody knew. But we can learn something from the fact that the other Jezebel in the, uh, the wife of Ahab, we saw the way her life was. And I want to use that one to explain something crucial to Christians today. All right? Now, you, another thing I need to explain. It said that Balaam was teaching, putting a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. And then, what was it? He taught Balak to teach the people to commit immorality. Well, to, actually what he did was that, you know, Balaam did not teach them at all. He just told Balak how to make them slide. And how did he do it? Fine girls. Get your fine young girls to go to the camp. They were having celebration. It was like a, a festival. So the fine girls would go, go and dance, do belly dancing for them. And the boys would mugushly follow them. And that was the death. That was the beginning of their problems. Okay? That, they, they were giving themselves over to death. They did not know. Now, Balaam, like I said, did not teach the people of Israel directly. He just put a stumbling block before them. But the result was the same thing. Jezebel, on the other hand, if you see, the Jezebel of the Old Covenant, this woman had a position of authority in Israel. She was the wife of the king. Then she usurped the husband's authority, and she used to manipulate everything to get what she wanted. She was the one that introduced idolatry into Israel. And Ahab, her husband, allowed that thing to prosper. What I want to bring out is this. I don't believe that this woman, Jezebel, that the Bible is talking about in this particular church, in Thyatira, that she will come to church and say, Today, I want to teach you to commit sexual immorality. I don't believe she will man the pulpit and say, Thus says the Lord, all men, go out, commit sexual immorality. No. Normally, Christians, you must understand, Satan is very, very crafty. He is not a fool. He will not just get up. I said it before. The temptation of a good man has to be a good thing. I don't know what I get my point here. You will not tell a good man, get up, shoot your wife, your children, you understand? And come back to church. Why will he do that? You won't tell a man that has a good wife, a stable home, you understand? Just going on the road. One girl will just stop him and say, I want you to be my sugar daddy. I like you. What is he going to tell her? Get out of the road, Satan. And if you don't get out of the road, stay in front of me, Satan. I will. Are you getting my point? I will put you under my tire, Satan. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's not a temptation, really. And many of the things, like I say all the time, the Bible says that they are that they won't let anything tempt us that we cannot resist. So then, many things people call temptation. God said, look, you think that's a temptation. It's not. You fell for the temptation long ago. You were not even careful. Now, you see what I'm saying? So the temptation of a good man is always a good thing. For example, what was the temptation of Peter? Jesus said, I am going to be killed. I am going to be near to the cross. He fell for the temptation of Satan. Why? He wanted to protect the life of Jesus. So he fell for it. It's always like that. Look, if, you are, if it's a temptation, there will be something you can defend to the average person. 
as a re- and that is actual after all is for the good of everybody. The one I've heard pastors do a lot of times is that when they lie with with um, the word of God to collect money, they don't talk about the lying with God's word. They focus on what the money is meant for. That this money, what are we using it for? It's not to preach the gospel. This money, what are we using it for? It's not to build a church for God. This money, what are we using it for? So that's what Satan does. What Satan does is that he will take us and focus our, us on what good we can do. And that's why um, the Lord had to speak through somewhere to all of us that will read the Bible. To obey is better than to what? Sacrifice. To sacrifice, to offer sacrifices. Because when they asked Saul, why did you disobey God? He said, look, we needed to make sacrifices. And that was why God said, look, listen, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Why was that important for us to know? Because the temptations of life usually are temptations of, for good people. There are evil people out there. They are the advanced that want to kill somebody and collect money. But for good people, it's usually the temptation is to sacrifice. And Satan knows. So he focused their eyes on, of course, there are different levels. There are those who fleshly level is where they stay. But for a lot of people, it's just, look, let's sacrifice. So how do we sacrifice? We disobey. We are going to, what's the name of the place? Amalek. We will not kill everything. Because we need to be able to offer what? Sacrifice. Back to Jezebel. This woman in the Bible. This is what I think happened with Jezebel. Now, when the Bible says that... Now, look, look at something. I want you to look at this closely. We'll go to Balaam also. But I wanted to see that what God was saying to both churches were similar. Look at what he said in that verse uh, 20. About that woman, Jezebel. She teaches and leads my bond servants astray. So that they commit acts of immorality. Now... And, and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, you see what I'm trying to explain here. You will notice something. The Bible didn't say she told them to do those things. But what did she do? She led them astray. And the consequence of being led astray was that they began to commit immorality and eat the things that are sacrificed to idols. Her teaching didn't start like that. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That was the result of following her teaching. The woman didn't come to say, listen, do this. No, she began with taking people off the word of God. Using prophetic utterances. The Lord spoke to me. Now, let me give you, I'll give you a few practical examples. Some things I've noticed, I've observed. One of the major ones I have found in today's Christianity. Hmm? Now, I'm putting this one as an, as an example. I'm not saying this was what Jezebel did. One of the ones I have found in today's Christianity is the idolization of material success. It starts like a good thing. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the church. Scripture. If we have money, we can preach the gospel. Makes a lot of sense. Now, somebody asked me for counsel recently. A man was doing business, and he said that he was doing business with those who were criminals. Now, he's a Christian. He's doing business with criminals. And when a friend of his said, why are you associating with these people? Before she even finished the statement, I was waiting for it. He said that he said that uh, the Bible says that uh, the wealth of the wicked is laid off for the righteous. I said I was waiting for you to say it because I've heard it before. So a Christian will go into business, all right? With drug dealers, 
a man who stole pension money. I, I don't know whether I get my point. You know he stole pension money. He works in Akana uh, General's office and he wants to invest 200 million naira in your business. You know he's a civil servant. You didn't bother to ask him. You just close your eyes and say, the wealth of the wicked. You see, some scriptures don't apply. What applies is, be not unequally yoked. What association does light have with darkness? That is what applies at such times. Now, you see where I'm going. Now, so Christians sometimes, this is how the doctrines come. The doctrines come and they sound good. That's why it's temptation. But they start subverting the word of God little by little. Here a little, there a little. The result, now please, this is where I'm going. The result is, let's use this one, these words, and then we can modify it and apply it. The result is what? Sexual immorality and things sacrificed to idols. Are you getting my point? It didn't start like that. I mean, I've heard preachings like, look, Christian, what is it? They got his blood money. Bring the blood money, we'll cleanse it with a bigger blood. Those are teachings of Jezebel. It, start, it starts innocuously. And what I want to explain to people today is this. Let me give, an, I, I give another example. Remember, these are what? Deep things. What did I call them? Deep things. They come and present things as deep things. I'll give another deep example. Or example of a deep thing. The doctrine of righteousness. You have been made righteous by faith in Christ Jesus. True or false? Good. You are not a sinner. True or false? Now listen to this. I'm, I'm getting close to the middle now. You cannot sin. Anything you do is not a sin because your spirit man is pure. And because you've been born again, there's nothing you do that's a sin. Why? Because the old nature has gone. Now it sounds nice. And this is my teaching for today. Anytime something starts like that, check where it is going. I have noticed those who adhere to those teachings are usually people who commit sexual immorality. That is what the Bible was saying. That is the way to test those deep teachings. Those who didn't come and say, listen, guys, there is nothing wrong with sleeping with all the babes in the street. They will never say it. They will take the scriptures and start showing you. The work of God is clear. You have been redeemed. Your spirit is pure. You're a spirit man. You're not a flesh man. Are you a body? Everybody will say no. That's the teaching. You're not a body. You're a spirit. God is spirit. We're made after the likeness of God. And because of that likeness of God, we're in the spirit. And if we're in the spirit, anything that happens in flesh is none of our business. So if you find my car, me, carrying some of these girls that hang around this road at night and carry her to one of those hotels, my spirit is here preaching to you. It's my body <laughs> that went down to a red light district. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That is how you test false doctrines. Check where it is leading to. If that doctrine was preached, all right, which is actually where Paul began from, where John began from, the concept was that if you follow the doctrine of Paul and follow the doctrine of John, you end up living a pure life. When you say, I have been redeemed, I am not a sinner, you know what that means? Why should I be engaging in what? In sin. I don't say I'm not a sinner, so whatever I do is not a sin. 
That's why Jesus said, I've heard your teachings. But what is the result of the teaching? Sexual immorality. Eating food sacrificed to idols. Let me tell you what that means. 